You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Guess what, y'all? There's football today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that air. Well, I am uh, I'm crazy excited. Crazy excited about football right now. It's weird because it's, it's almost like I don't understand what's happening. And on one hand, it doesn't feel real. And then on the other hand, I have to remind myself, like, it's just one game and it's way later today. Like, I'm not going to finish the podcast, go upstairs and watch football. And it's several days until the rest of these games are played, including the Green Bay Packers. But that doesn't seem to dissuade the excitement. So I, maybe, maybe I do understand I'm just this excited about one Thursday night game. I don't know. I will, I will say, though, I'm extremely nervous about the lack of fans. I really just have this feeling in my gut that I'm going to watch the game and it's going to be like, wow, this is just really sad and depressing and stupid. Especially since it's at Kansas City. I mean, that's, that's a really cool... I mean, what, a, what better environment than that to kick off the season? Not only because they're the Super Bowl champions, but they got cool chants and everything. The sea of red and the, the choppy thing and the stupid drum. I think it's a great, that's, that's a bucket list item for me to get out there and see a game there. And, and to have the contrast of what you expect, right, the cool weather, the sea of red, banging the drum, the choppy thing, and instead it's just like fake whatever noise, and if it's anything like that Green Bay Packers noise, it doesn't even sound like a stadium, it sounds like trash. So my hope is they're actually going to have separate audio for the listeners at home that just, you know, I mean, just record sounds from the what it sounds like on television and play that back to it. I don't want to know. I don't want to see the stands. I don't want to see a seat. Just give us these camera angles that show like a really crowded sideline and, uh, you know, maybe some all 22 or something. I don't know. Just just show me the field and the players and don't let me see one empty seat. I, I'm I'm genuinely worried about that. And there better not be any stupid cardboard cutouts, or that's really going to depress me. But that's the only thing I'm worried about, trying to somehow temper my expectations, but my, my, I, I'm, I'm not able to do that, despite all my efforts. But we do have a game, and that is part of what we're talking about today. So I want to look at this injury report. That's for the Packers, but also the much more interesting Minnesota Vikings injury report. Um talk very briefly about a new addition to the Green Bay Packers, mostly because I'm just very, very excited about it, not because you need to really worry about it, but I want to talk about it because I'm very happy. Massive shout out to Kevin, by the way. I logged into Twitter just for a second, and I had a message from Kevin who uh, asked if, if Dalen Mack was one of the guys that I really liked in college, which is weird. I, I swear, I, I maybe mentioned his name two or three times because I didn't see a huge need to bring up his name. So Kevin is is on the ball. Maybe he's just got one of those one of those memories, which is scary. The ultimate old takes exposed guy. Actually, back in August of 2018, you said this. So, um, so those, there's those things. The injury report. Uh, the Dalen Mack news. I'll just I guess I'll just tell you his name. 
And then I want to talk about the Thursday game, give my thoughts on that. I'm also planning on doing a bunch of videos. I haven't done videos in a while. I haven't had time, but I did get up kind of early today. I did listen to my 4 o'clock alarm. I wasted time for about an hour. It's already 5.20, but I'm still happy. Yesterday, I didn't even get up until 5, didn't start until 6. If I could get back to getting up at 3 and actually start on time and not dawdle, could get a lot of stuff done. But, of course, that, you know... Why live up to my expectation? I had so many dreams of what I was going to do for these two weeks off. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go down to the, the Ice Age Trail over there and go run. Come back. Eat something healthy and nutritious that probably tastes bad. Read a book, maybe. I don't know. And then do about eight hours of football content and just tear up the universe. And, and you know, I've done zero of those things. But anyways, that's the plan for today. Please make sure you um, are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Another real big shot to my aspirations. Um, I was going to start uploading videos to the Packernet Podcast Facebook page, and apparently I had a bunch of strikes for posting content that wasn't mine, and they're saying you're not able to monetize your channel. So I just, I've just been getting kicked in the teeth over and over again, so my big dreams of growing that that Facebook page and letting that be an additional source of, of revenue, that's just been shot in the face because I probably downloaded one video and republished it because I want people to actually watch the video as opposed to, you know, when, you, when it just says YouTube and you nobody's going to click on it. You want to download it and then put it back up there so that people actually watch it and get excited about it. But no, can't do that. So stupid. What a bad start to the day. Anyways... Get involved in that anyways. I don't know how much energy I'm putting into that stupid page anymore. That was the entire point of the page, but whatever. Otherwise, if you want to support the show, there's a bunch of links. Uh, there's Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, whatever. doesn't matter. If you want to, there's a way. Why don't we take a break, and we'll talk about those very wonderful special things. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So let's start with the addition of Dalen Mack. He was one of my favorite prospects in the, what, 2019 draft, I guess. I didn't talk about him a ton because he's sort of a later round prospect. He's one of those guys that I really like. Um, nobody else really liked him. It was a given that he was going to be a later round pick, but I didn't care. I put my stamp on him anyways. Um, if you don't remember me talking about Dalen Mack, it may have been in the same context I was talking about Rennell Wren. 
Um, Rennell Wren is another guy that I was very, very excited about. But my thoughts on Dalen Mack is that he's a much bigger version of Rennell Wren. When I watch Rennell Wren and Dalen Mack, essentially, they just beat the guy in front of him every time. They're just bigger and stronger, not Rennell Wren necessarily, but Dalen Mack, 6'1", 340, nose tackle, out of Texas A&M, which is interesting for a couple reasons. Um, well, basically one reason. We've got a bunch of Texas A&M guys right now, including Kingsley Kiki, who is a defensive tackle out of Texas A&M. In fact, interestingly enough, not only did they play together um, in 2018, which was the last season for both, they were, they were both drafted in 2019. So yes, they played together. In fact, both of them played for Texas A&M from 2015 through 2018. They both were drafted in 2019. They both were drafted in the fifth round of 2019. Kingsley Kiki was um, a fifth round pick, number 150 overall. Dalen Mack was a fifth round pick, number 160 overall. So lots of familiarity there between those two. I don't think it has much to do with uh, the reason we picked them up. They're very different prospects. Kingsley Kiki is basically the exact opposite, 6'3", 288. Again, compared to 61340. So Kiki is more of the the smaller, longer, leaner guy and Dalen Mack is obviously the bigger run stuffer, which is what the Packers want. Apparently they've been talking to Snacks and they've done a few things and the best they can come up with is going out and getting Dalen. So in all reality, I don't I don't really expect much. There's no reason not to expect that much considering we expect more from Kingsley Kiki who was drafted around the same time. Um, they both graded out almost identical in college. For example, 2018, Dalen Mack graded out at overall 80.1, Kingsley Kiki 80.1. I mean, these guys are just, it's amazing how tied together they are. Shockingly, however, Kingsley Kiki graded out slightly better against the run. Dalen Mack, um, who did grade out better against the run, was a better pass rusher of the two, which just does not make a lot of sense, but it is what it is. Um, In terms of his professional career, he came over from the New York Giants. He did not get a lot of opportunities, and it is worth noting that they do have a decent roster of defensive tackles. And so from a depth standpoint, you can kind of see why maybe their fifth-round pick they just don't necessarily see a need for. They have Leonard Williams, who is a, you know, he, he's definitely not up to what you expected considering where he was drafted, but he's a decent enough player, and he's a run defender. They have Dexter Lawrence, who they drafted in the first round. He's decent enough, especially as a run defender. They have B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill was a 2018 third-round pick. He is a run defender. They have um, Delvin Tomlinson, who is a 2017 second-round pick out of Alabama, who is a run defender. They don't have anybody that can pass rush, but they got four guys along the defensive line that can do it. And they've also got two others that they're... Shut it up. That's JJ sending me stuff on Twitter. It's his post on Dalen Mack. Might as well read it since he wants to rudely interrupt my show here. By the way, I'm completely joking around, JJ. Don't get sad. Um, you can follow him at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. So the Packers and Vikings both suck at stopping the run. The Vikings signed an Ed Rusher, who's literally one of the worst run defenders in football. That's the truth. And put Hunter on IR. We'll get to that. The Packers signed Dalen Mack's ginormous butt to sit on running backs. That's, okay, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Dalen, as, just, just as a reminder, I was reading a tweet. I did not make that comment about your anatomy. Anyways, you could possibly see why the guy, and, and clearly he wasn't impressing, but again, you've got 
a first-round pick in Leonard Williams, a first-round pick in Dexter Lawrence, a third-round pick in B.J. Hill, a second-round pick in Dalvin Tomlinson, a second-round pick in Austin Johnson. The only other, so it's it's R.J. McIntosh, who was a 2018 fifth-round pick, and Dalen Mack, who was a 2019 fifth-round pick. And f- for whatever reason, they said R.J. is is a better prospect, probably because R.J. is a more pass rush-oriented defensive tackle. So if you have to decide between R.J. McIntosh, who is not a good pass rusher, but um, 6'4", 291, more geared toward pass rush than run defense, or Dalen Mack, who is clearly a run-defending nose tackle, who's going to be your number five run-stopping defensive tackle, kind of makes sense. So, I mean, it's not to say he's good and they cut him just because of, of that, but... It's also not the case where they've got a bunch of terrible guys that he just can't beat out. The fact of the matter is they, they're not in a position to hold on to their number seven defensive tackle to see if he can kind of become something. But on the flip side, Dalen Mack, um, he had one preseason and one regular season game. That's it. In fact, he didn't even necessarily have a game. It was week four against Cleveland. He came in nine times, six times to stop the run, three as a pass rusher. He registered zero anythings and graded out terribly. But again, nine snaps, which is actually not all that dissimilar to Kingsley Kiki. If you look at Kingsley Kiki in week three, or excuse me, week five, one week later, played seven snaps, all seven as a pass rusher, he graded out terribly. We're still optimistic about Kingsley Kiki. The Packers are still optimistic about Kingsley Kiki. Also, and I doubt they'll ever do this, but it would be kind of cool if Kingsley and... uh, and Dalen got on the field at the same time, just to kind of relive it, you know? I remember I didn't play football very often. I, I One year, I decided to do it. I was going to do it with my friends, John and Matt. Well, Matt's grandma wouldn't sign the permission slip, so he was out, and John, they found out, had asthma, so they would barely let him play. But the one time they let him play, he came out on defense with us, and we were a terrible football team. We were Teft Middle School going up against Elgin, which... Oh my god, I mean, Elgin, basically, these are high school kids, and their bench, there were like 700 students playing football. We had just, I, I played offense, defense, and special teams, just to give you an idea of how few people we had and how garbage we were. But anyways, he comes out, because they're just kind of throwing a Hail Mary, because we suck, and Elgin is really good, and him and I played next to each other. They didn't gain a single yard the whole time. The bottom line is, he was fired up, because they never let him play, and he wanted to show people what he could do, and I was fired up, because my my best friend was standing next to me on the field, and now it's like, all right, we're going to kill some people. And we did. And then they just pulled him, and we never did that again. And again, they're a bunch of morons. But, you know, it, it kind of gets you fired up. You know, Kingsley's out there kind of by himself, but you bring Dale and Mac, and it's like, dude, we're going to show them what we do. And it's it's not like they're from a small school. It's Texas A&M. These are two very good defensive tackles coming out of Texas A&M. So, I don't know. I, I don't expect much. Clearly, he's not going to do anything week one. I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that so definitively, but it's almost impossible that a guy who just got here a couple days before game day is going to play any any amount of snaps. We've got plenty of guys that they're going to want to put on the field, um, including Mr. Kingsley Kiki, who they're hoping can kind of take a step. Doesn't matter, though. I'm excited. And we get the guy that we've always wanted, that you know, at least for me, I know it's not really Mike Pettin's thing and the Packers don't really like to go that route, but that 340-pound nose tackle type guy whose only job, the only expectation, I don't care what you can do against a quarterback, is if we're getting beat up on the ground or if it's just a run-stopping situation, 
where that's what we focus on, which is not Mike Pettin's thing. He's saying, go ahead and run. I don't care. Get a bunch of yards, but we can't let him throw. Be nice to change that a little bit and say, nah, we kind of want to stop him from running also. If that's the case, we got this guy. Also, as I've said, Kingsley Kiki somehow is better against the run than as a pass rusher, which I do think needs to change if he's going to stay on this team. Six foot three, 288 pounds, Kingsley. As much as I respect a guy that can stop the run, you cannot be a terrible pass rusher at 288 pounds. You cannot be the team's run defender at 288. It's just, it's not, it's not a thing that you got drafted for. So figure it out, bud. All right. Injury reports. Let's look at the Packers first. On this report, we have Montrevious Adams, Oren Burks, Raven Green, Randy Ramsey, Billy Turner. That's a pretty small injury report, um, even for last year when the Packers had almost no injuries. The actual report, which lists every little, you know, hangnail and everything else, um, it's pretty sizable. But we just had guys that were able to recover and get on the field. And it looks like we're going to be in a similar situation. Uh, It doesn't have any kind of game status as of yet, as far as questionable, doubtful, whatever. But Montrevious, Oren Burks, and Raven Green were limited in practice on Wednesday. That's a pretty good sign they're going to play. Now, obviously, if they tweak what they've got going on or whatever, that could get worse. But generally speaking, if you're practicing, you're probably okay to play. Because if, if, if the, just think about it from this standpoint, if, if the idea is we don't think you're going to make it, then we need you to recover, right? If, if, if the doctor says, you know, at this particular point in time, it's kind of iffy that he makes it to Sunday, you're not going to push him out on the practice field. You're going to try to increase your odds of getting him out on Sunday by resting. So Montrevious, Oren Burks, and Raven Green, out of that group, the only one that's really impactful is Raven Green. As much as I'd love for Montrevious to be able to step up and uh, hope that maybe he does take that step and that'd be great and he's got the potential, blah, blah, blah. I just, I don't know that it moves the needle. And I would say the same for Oren Burks. Almost, I mean, it's basically, Oren Burks and Montrevious are basically the same guy in my mind. The Packers were way higher on him than they probably should have been. Traded up for Oren. Very similar situations in terms of they got drafted and everybody kind of went, why so early? Which is becoming Brian Gutekunst's calling card at this point. And neither of them are panning out. And by not panning out, I'm saying they are just abysmal. And I know everybody loves Oren, especially, and his athleticism. And they, you know, when he's healthy and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's just not the reality. He needs to be a lot better. Um, now, Oren is more impactful than Montrevious for the simple reason that Kamal Martin is currently on IR. Now, the good thing is with all this COVID stuff, um, you can bring as many people back from IR as you want, and there's only a three-week limit. So that is a fantastic thing. It, it doesn't, I mean, who knows how long Kamal is going to be injured, but it, it does kind of help to where you don't have to feel a whole lot of heartburn. If they're not going to be back within the next three weeks, you can put them on IR, pick up somebody else, try them out, whatever, which is what the Packers have done, and see how it goes. But, but the bottom line is, in these three weeks, this is Oren Burke's opportunity to step up as the number two linebacker and really show that he can do something. Now, how many opportunities he actually gets anyways, I don't know, because Christian Kirksey's the guy, and the Packers play with a lot of one linebacker anyways. But still, if Oren Burks has an opportunity, this is it. Curtis Bolton is also on IR for that matter, uh, meaning he's Oren is basically just competing with Ty Summers. And as far as Ty is concerned, if Oren Burks can't play or if there's issues about his injuries or whatever, then he obviously has an opportunity. It doesn't matter either way, because I feel like it's Christian Kirksey and Kamal Martin as the only guys I really 
feel any sense of maybe they can do something. I probably shouldn't be all the way out on Oren, but I kind of am already. And Kamal, I have no reason to really believe that he's that good anyways outside of training camp, but, you know, at least there's some level of optimism because we don't know yet. But obviously that leaves us with Randy Ramsey and Billy Turner. Randy Ramsey, again, not that impactful if he does or does not play. Billy Turner is the big question mark. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I don't even know where to go with it. I don't really want to go on an anti-Billy Turner tirade again. You know how I feel about that situation. So... If he plays, then the Packers get their number one, it just it's so hard to even say it, their chosen right tackle, the guy that they want to be their right tackle, plays. And I guess we can view that as a good thing. If he doesn't, we get Rick Wagner, long time, very good right tackle for the Detroit Lions slash Baltimore Ravens. So, you know, I don't know. And, there's, you know, as far as him being injured, he's not even on the injury report. So he's fine. Apparently he's terrible. <sighs> All right, <sighs> I just I just gotta drop it. We'll see what happens. It's either gonna be Billy Turner if he's healthy or Rick Wagner, and um, let's just segue that into the Minnesota Vikings because we just found out yesterday that Daniil Hunter is going on IR or is currently on IR. This is this is pretty devastating for them. I, I you, you already know how I feel about Yannick. He's he's a decent pass rusher. He's not elite. He's he's a top 30, top 40 pass rusher. He's good for 7-8 sacks a season. He's getting 10-11-12% pass rush percentage, which is fine, but he's also one of the worst run-defending edge rushers in all of football, and that's not a one-year outlier. That's always been the case. He really, really is not good at that. And so when we look at the Minnesota Vikings, and everybody wants to downplay, I'm, I'm, I'm really just getting tired of the media narrative about absolutely everything. I, I don't think a day goes by where I couldn't just sit here and rant about that because somebody else said something stupid that makes me angry. Yesterday, I think it was Pete Prisco. I'm not positive, but he was he had the Packers like number two overall. And he was going on about how he doesn't understand the disrespect. And then as he starts talking, everybody starts jumping in and jumping. In. And again, this is this is just this is how the, the general media operates. Not everybody. Obviously, you get an occasional Pete Prisco who's willing to go out on a limb. But there's generally a lot of groupthink. And man, you come out and say, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And they just get so angry and start saying stupid stuff. Well, it's Devontae and who? Yeah, it's Thielen and who? It's Tyreek and who? I mean, I, again, I've done this a billion times. We can go through the list of how many, granted Travis Kelsey if you want to count tight ends, but how many teams don't have number two wide receivers. And it's just, it's there's a lot. As I've said, Baltimore, I don't think, has a legit number one. Maybe Hollywood becomes that, but they, they don't have any wide receiver. Nobody's counting them out. It's, just, it's a stupid argument, and it's a stupid argument from people that believe a thing and don't really have it very well thought out. And so when somebody attacks them, they, they just default to these talking points like, oh, shoot, memory, give me, what, what are the, why, do, why are we saying this again? What, why, what are people saying I'm supposed to say at this? Oh, it's Devontae and nobody. They're not getting them enough help. You're a bunch of morons. What are we talking about? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just fed up. I'm really tired of it. But the Vikings are kind of the opposite. They're favorites to win this game, which is an absolute joke. Um, they're favorites by a lot of, of, of places to win the division, which I believe is a joke. And largely it's on the back of the denial that there's any regression on this team whatsoever, and that's absurd. Again, I don't want to do a full breakdown because that's coming. 
but it's absolutely absurd. Let me just leave you with this little nugget. PFF graded the Minnesota Vikings defense as the fourth best defense by the end of last year. It was the Steelers, the 49ers, the Patriots, and then the Vikings. That was the order they had it in. They had the Packers number eight, by the way. If you look at their sack numbers from last year, the number one guy in sacks was Daniil Hunter with 15. He's not playing in this game. Number two was Everson Griffin with nine. He is now a Dallas Cowboy. Linval Joseph is no longer with the team. He had an additional three. So that leaves you with seven-sack Effetti Odenigbo and four-sack Jaleel Johnson and four-sack Stephen Stephen Weatherly, whatever. P-H should never be a V. That's all I'm saying. If your name is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, I I will call you Stephen. And your parents can just... Never mind. See, I'm very upset about the Packers' slander. (sighs) And so the the two remaining arguments would be, yeah, well, Efedi Adenigbo got seven sacks. He only played 368 snaps. You compare that to Daniil, who had 883 snaps. Seven is actually pretty solid. In fact, if you take Efedi's sack numbers and put it out over Daniil's total snaps, it's uh, basically almost 17 sacks. Right. But he had a Kyler Fackrell type season where the sacks are way outnumbering his total pressures. He had seven sacks and 11 hurries. Compare that to, for the record, hurries you get a lot more of, right? Sacks are closing the deal, which happens far less often. Daniil Hunter had 15 sacks. He had 62 hurries. The better way to just do all this, how many total pressures did he get per pass rush, right? Pass rush percentage, my favorite metric. How many times when you tried to get to the quarterback did you? Regardless of whether you were able to tackle the guy while he still had the ball or just hit him after he threw the ball or make him run, did you get to the quarterback or not is the question. Because the sacks are much more fleeting. Whether or not you're going to be able to close is a separate issue. Point is, you're going to get X amount of snaps in a game against the Green Bay Packers. How many times are you going to get to get, get to Aaron Rodgers? That's what I want to know. He's at 9.16%. And again, as I've said, anything less than 10% and you kind of suck at your job. Stefan Weatherly. kind of sucks at his job. So there's there's nothing. And Daniil Hunter being out is devastating. The best thing that they're going to be able to do is to take Yannick Ngakwe, put him over on the right side, the offensive right side, defensive left side of the line against either Billy Turner or Rick Wagner, because if you put him over by um, David Bakhtiari, you're done. There is no hope for you. Put him over on the offensive right side against our right tackle and hope that he can get a couple. And by the way, I had, I had posited the idea that possibly this is a pickup because they knew Daniil Hunter was going to be um, hurt. And a lot of Vikings fans said, no, nah, it sounds like it's not that big of an injury. Now that we know it's a big injury, can we revisit that? Can we revisit the idea that possibly they had no interest in Yannick Ngakwe, but realized that Daniil Hunter was very likely not going to be playing for a, a, a decent period of time? And that without Daniil Hunter, this is not a fieldable defense? There's nothing redeemable about this entire defensive line. In fact, if we just, and I shouldn't do this, if we just go through their defense, again, fourth best defense, and largely that's just an aggregation of of your players' grade, and they have a lot of really good players. Anthony Harris, very, very good player. He's the highest graded player they had on their team. Guy that just got paid, I've been saying, is is underrated, undrafted guy. is part of the reason I'm excited about having their DB coach come over here and coach our safeties, because they take every safety and just make them into freaks. Anthony Harris, again, undrafted free agent, comes in and just just rips it up. 2015 undrafted free agent. Been with Minnesota for five years. 
He's never really been bad outside of maybe 2016, but he didn't really get a lot of opportunities until 2018, and he was elite. The two years that he played full-time, he was just dominant. So you got that. You got Eric Hendricks, who again had the first really good season of his entire career via PFF. And for that note, um, kind of helping to establish the fact that he's going to regress, again, very quick refresher for those that don't know, Eric Kendrick's PFF grades have been 59, 68, 65, 64, and 90.2. Little bit of an outlier. To lend a little bit of credence to the fact that he is going to regress this year, let's take a look at what he did last year. Tell me if you notice anything interesting. We'll start with week one. We'll run through week 16. These are his overall grades. 71, 75, 71, 78, 90, 91, 90, 74, 63, 59, 62, 84, 62, 74, 57. You notice anything? The first four weeks of the season, he was in the 70s, which is good. The next three weeks, he was elite against the Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, and Detroit Lions. Then he was good again. So through week eight, he didn't have a single bad game. From week nine on, he had two good games. Everything else was either average or below average. The entire second half of the season looks a lot more like his overall grades. In other words, the regression isn't going to start this year. It started week nine of last year. It already started. His overall grade was only as high as it was because he started off the season out of his mind. I'm not worried about Eric Kendricks. And then we got Harrison Smith. So we got two safeties, which I have already acknowledged are maybe the best safety duo in football. They're fantastic. So we got the two safeties. We have Eric Hendricks, who's not as good as people say he is. You've got Daniil Hunter, who's not playing. You have J. Ron Curse, who is now a Detroit Lion. You have Andrew Sandejo, who is a Cleveland Brown now. You have Everson Griffin, who is a Dallas Cowboy. Next highest graded is Cameron Smith. He's on IR. Then you have Fedi Adenigbo. So, solid. There you go. Probably largely because a lot of his pressures become, became sacks. Terrible against the run. Garbage tackler. Can't cover. But, you know, PFF does weight sacks higher than any other form of pressure. So assuming he can keep this insanely ridiculous sack rate up, he's fine. But he won't, so he's not. Then number 10 overall, you have Linval Joseph. Then at number 10 overall, we have Linval Joseph, who is now a L.A. Charger. And that, ladies and gentlemen, completes the list of players that were in the 70s or higher. In other words, good or elite. So of the good players... Um, the only guy that exists, the guy in the 70s, is Efedi Adenigbo, and his grade was inflated because he's actually not very good, but got a bunch of sacks despite hardly ever getting to the quarterback. Um, guys that were in the 80s, basically just one, Anderson Dejo, again, is gone. And then of the elite players, one of them is gone, one of them is on IR, one of them massively over-inflated grades. So we're looking at a defense. And again, this is this is the problem with the media. They know that the Vikings' defense was elite last year. And they falsely believe that Barr and Kendricks are elite linebackers, despite the fact that they've never really been that. They're, for some reason, completely ignoring the cornerback situation, which is non-existent, and are buying into the lie that Yannick Ngakwe is one of the best, young, talented pass rushers in all of football. And again, I have no problem saying complimentary things of other teams. I've been on a, a constant tirade about the Lions being a pretty scary team this year. It's granted this is the second year in a row I've said that, but we'll we'll call it a mulligan for last year. I'm very often a year early on my predictions anyways. Kind of like when I said the Dolphins would be a garbage team. They actually won a bunch of games, and then the next year they won like zero, i.e., which was technically last year. But if you actually look at any of this stuff, what made them good last year? It was Daniil 
and Everson Griffin and Linval largely with two elite safeties roaming over the top, which makes it, when you have a really solid pass rush, by the way, your corners, the lack of talent at cornerback is not exactly highlighted. It makes their job very easy. So the, the corners have pass rushers that are getting to the cornerback, quarterback, and you have elite safety help over the top. What do they ha- What does this team have? Cousins, Dalvin. <laughs> I again, I shouldn't be doing a breakdown, but they've got Cousins, who had the best year of his career, that you just hope doesn't regress. You have Dalvin Cook that can't make it a half a year. That's also trying to get a contract, so we don't know where his head's at or his body, for that matter. You've got Adam Thielen that now has to be the number one after being the number two behind Stephon Diggs all this time. And you have two really good safeties, and that's the team that's going to dominate the NFC North. You have a terrible offensive line. You have no depth at wide receiver. Your tight ends are largely unproven, despite the fact that everyone thinks they're great. Kyle Rudolph is 900 years old. Irv Smith is going into his second year, so there's potential, but there's also potential with our second-year guy in in Sternberger. There's potential in TJ Hawkinson, and there's potential in Noah Fant, but there's no guarantee any of these guys step up. He wasn't that good last year. He was fine. He was average, mediocre. You have no defensive line. You have not good linebackers. You have non-existent corners who haven't even hardly played in the NFL. Your team kind of sucks, man. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, your team just kind of sucks a little bit. So, I was not supposed to go with that in depth on it. I just, I can't help myself, man. I'm just, I'm tired of it. And I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't care about the caveat that it's week one and anything can happen. The Packers need to win this game. Th- this is a layup. And I don't care if that's disrespectful. It's, it's a layup. I'm not going to elaborate because, again, I, I don't want to completely undercut my episode breaking it down. But what in the world... I mean, you build a game plan about beat, around beating the Packers. What is it What is it comprised of? And then look at the context of what happened last year and think about how well that plan's going to work out for you. I'll leave it at that. we got to move on. Finally, we've got the Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs playing tonight. I, I would like to encourage all of you to please get involved in the CBS Pick'em Pool. Um, there's no cost to admission. Just click the link and you're in. You just make your picks. And uh, that's pretty much it. You gotta kind of rank them, and you know, assign point totals or whatever. And uh, if you win, you get the points. If you don't, you don't. As an extra added bonus, you don't have to do it. But if you win the competition, and this is only assuming there's a bunch of people. If if there's only like five or six people that play, we're not doing this. But I'm envisioning like 50 people. If you win the week, then I may ask you to possibly give some insights for my YouTube channel. I'm not talking about a live interview because I, I'm not interested in doing that kind of stuff. But maybe you can send in a video or a tip or whatever and I'll shout you out on my YouTube channel. Just as an extra added incentive uh, to get people involved in that. Plus, it helps to incentivize people even if you didn't get involved in week one. It's not about winning the whole season, but there's week-to-week incentive, right? Even if it's week 15, you still have the opportunity to get in, win the week, and then get on the next YouTube video. So, something to think about. The link for that is in the Facebook group if you can't find it. And it actually looks like there's quite a few people in here right now, which is great. I haven't checked it since I sent that link out. Reminder, by the way, JJ, uh, Andrew Robbins, David Davis, JJ, Jim Thompson, Joey Ross, Jordan Simpso, Josh Cornwell, Matthew Schro, Scott Walkelin, Wakelin. I threw an L in there. You guys got to make your picks. Otherwise, we got 16 people with their picks in. So we got a de- decent-sized group, but try to get in there because we got a game, obviously, tonight, and you want to get your uh, point totals in for all that stuff. But anyways, um, looking at this game, 
Obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs are favored to win the game. Kansas City is actually minus nine, so it's really not even seen as close. I, I do think, and some of it might be justified, but I do think the Texans are also an underrated team. Or I, I shouldn't even say underrated. They're disrespected. This is a team that every year gets into the playoffs. They've got one of the better quarterbacks in all of football. I don't think they have a lot of talent anywhere on this roster. I mean, I shouldn't say anywhere. I just said they were one of the most talented quarterbacks. But holes galore, but yet they still find a way to win and get into the playoffs and, and do a decent enough job. And yet everybody says they're a joke. And I know why. It's because everybody hates their, their coach slash GM. But what I think is unfair about that is, on one hand, their GM, and we're talking about the same guy here, is trash. Everything he's done is trash. His ability to get talent on this team has been pretty terrible. Now, some of that remains to be seen. They did move on from their number one wide receiver and replaced it, went from one elite and nobody else to three decent enough wide receivers. So we have to see how that all pans out. They did go out and get a running back, upgraded the offensive line slightly. But regardless of of how much you appreciate or despise his role as GM and how, how good or bad of a job he's done, you got to respect him as a coach. Again, they have no offensive line. They've had no running back. They have no run game. They have no wide receivers outside of one. They've got a quarterback. Their defense is just, I mean, you got J.J. Watt who plays, you know, half a season. And what, Juan Thornhill who was a rookie last year? Oh no, that's the Chiefs I'm thinking of. Who, who do the Texans have? Oh, Reed, right. They got Reed. I, I knew each team had like that one guy. But again, they, they make it work. And so you got to respect them at least for that. And really, this is a rematch from last year in which the Houston Texans absolutely annihilated the Chiefs up until the point at which the Chiefs annihilated the Texans even more, right? I mean, it was it was an absolute beating, but let's not forget the Texans whooped up on the Chiefs first. And so if they can simply tighten up that defense a little bit, it's not necessarily a runaway. The, uh, the Texans' defense just got absolutely annihilated which wasn't all that uncommon. It's a very up-and-down kind of defense. Right? Overall, they were 19th in points, but they had, you know, 12 points, 16 points, 3 points, 17 points, 19 points. The, the defense did decent jobs sometimes, followed up by the occasional uh, 32 points to the Falcons, which is a joke, 41 to the Ravens, 38 to the Broncos, which is horrific, 35 to the Titans, and, of course, 51 to the Kansas City Chiefs. But these are two playoff teams, and I still to this day do not respect the Kansas City Chiefs defense. And it, it is an anomaly because they graded, and I shouldn't say graded out, they, they ranked, their rank and their grade are completely opposite. Um, and this is why Chiefs fans beat up on me all the time when I say I don't like their defense. But they were 7th in points, 17th in yards, which is average, but they were 7th in points. How can they be that bad if they're 7th in points? And this is the whole thing where on one end of the spectrum you have statistics which are concrete they're real it's it's a real static thing there's no nuance in it but there's no context either with the grades you have context but you also have uh, the more context you add the more room for error you have so it's it's a matter of where do you fall on and chiefs fans obviously look at it and say well i have the context because i watched and they were very good so i don't know what you're talking about pff is stupid but i don't necessarily take their word for it because they're biased fans they saw a defense that didn't give up a lot of points, and, and there you go. So so what I did this morning, and it's part of the reason why I was, you know, I woke up at 4 and I didn't actually get started until 5.20, was because I wanted to get a better answer. And this isn't good enough, but I, I wanted to just create a tiebreaker. And so I found a massive disparity. The um, For the record, the Kansas City Chiefs, 
they were graded as the 25th best defense, which again, 7th in points, but ranked 25th. The only defenses PFF thought were worse were the Cardinals, Redskins, Browns, Raiders, Jaguars, Lions, and Dolphins. That's it. Um, but I, I wanted to find a massive disparity, so I found a game, because it, they also have week-to-week breakdowns where you can see where they did a good job and where they did a bad job. And the biggest outlier for me would probably be the Week 16 game against the Chicago Bears. The Kansas City Chiefs allowed only three points, but PFF gave them a grade of 57.3, which is not good. That's below average. It's pretty poor. Not their worst game by any stretch of the imagination, but still a a pretty big anomaly there. How do you give up three points to a team and be terrible? Well, the obvious answer is the Bears' offense is just that bad. So I watched the game, not the entire game, because Game Pass is a joke, and it froze on me three times, and I kept having to refresh it and start over, and after a while I just gave up. But it became very clear to me, and again, this this is still lacking context. If I wanted to, I would spend an entire day, watch every single game, and get a fuller context for myself. But the bottom line is the Bears' offense really was that bad. Um, Mitch Trubisky was able to run the ball. And when I say Mitch Trubisky, I mean Mitch Trubisky. He ran, I think the first two plays were, were runs, and he had another one that was a scramble. So he had a bunch of, of rushing yards, which isn't great for the Chiefs' defense. They did stop the run game, which uh, was pretty non-existent for the Bears last year. But then when you watch the, the passing, that's when it really became clear what we were looking at. They had Allen Robinson wide open for a touchdown. Mitch Trubisky missed him. He hit uh, uh, one of his receivers right in the hands, and he dropped it. And so what you ended up having is, is an offense that had no ability to stretch the field. And even in third and long situations, which, by the way, one of the times that, that the offensive drive stalled after getting a couple first down, was a simple pitch on an end around that got fumbled, and they lost a ton of yards. And although they did gain yardage on the next two drives, it wasn't enough. Because they, again, have no ability to push the ball down the field. So they're throwing these little screen passes and the Chiefs just teed off on it because you know what they're doing. And the few times when they decide to take a shot, which is what they needed to do because the Chiefs weren't ready for it and Allen Robinson can easily get behind this defense, Mitch Trubisky has no ability to hit a wide-open Allen Robinson for a touchdown. So I was not overly impressed with the defense, although, you know, obviously they have a very good interior defensive lineman that's impressive who dominated, which the Bears kept rushing up the middle. They had no desire to run to the outside, which makes no sense because the one good defensive player on this defense is right in the middle. But I guess if that's what you're designed to do, then that's what you do. Unlike the Packers, who are designed to run to the outside right in Yannick's stupid face, um, which they will do with ease. Uh, This was a different scenario. So that was my tiebreaker, and I'm going to stick with the fact that although maybe the, the PFF is a little too overzealous in that direction. A lot of their grades have to do with the fact of their players and not being overly impressed with their players. It it still stands to reason that the defense is a problem, and I think that that could come back to bite them. We're watching essentially the 2010-2011 Green Bay Packers, a team that has a really poor defense. I shouldn't say 2010. They had a pretty solid defense. But 2011 and beyond, when the defense clearly was becoming a liability, But we've got Aaron Rodgers, we've got Jordy, we've got Cobb, we've got this offensive weaponry to drag this team, and and similarly with ease, right? We're we're not just barely winning because our defense is bad, we're we're destroying teams. But how long is that going to last? And kind of looking a little bit more long-term, it doesn't necessarily have implications on this game, but long-term, I would be worried about the Chiefs. Pat Mahomes is going to cover a lot of problems, but... Since their GM that built this team left, John Dorsey, what have they done? 
John Dorsey must just be the most insufferable human being on earth because he can't hold down a job despite the fact that he has built essentially two franchises. He was great with the Green Bay Packers. They loved him. They would love to have kept him, and I'm sure they would have loved to have made him the GM if he was around at that time, but he wasn't because the Chiefs hired him as a GM. He built the Chiefs into what they are today. Then he got fired, got a job with the Browns, picked up Baker and a bunch of other pieces, built them into what they are today, which I think is a pretty solid team, and then gets fired again. I just, I'll never understand it. But he was with the Chiefs from 2013 to 2016. Well, technically 2017. See, if if you just look at it at 2016, then that, that was his last full season. His first season with the Browns was 2017, but he got fired after the draft, which is worth noting because they drafted Pat Mahomes in 2017. So Pat Mahomes, Kareem Hunt, Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill, Marcus Peters, you know, D Ford, Eric Fisher, Travis Kelsey, these are all these are all John Dorsey. Since then, Breland Speaks, Derek Noddy, Mikol Hardman, Juan Thornhill's decent, Kalen Saunders, um, you know, we'll see what Clyde Edwards Elair can do, but these last two drafts have been kind of terrible. I think the twenty eighteen draft was a joke. We'll see about 2019 with Mikkel Hardman and Juan Thornhill might be decent enough. But the, the bottom line is, the guy that built this team, that got like one elite player every single year for this team that built them into what they are is gone. And now you have a team that I, I believe has a bad defense, is, is kind of operating with just a quarterback. I think this offensive line is deteriorating. Fisher, who was a pretty solid pickup, is, is 30 years old and is not getting any better. That's their left tackle. Schwartz is still solid, but he's 31. What what are they going to be able to get another Mitchell Schwartz? The interior of the offensive line is not good. They've yet to be able to find that number two, the oh so important number two wide receiver. And so they're they're basically just riding with Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill, and they're hoping that that's going to ride this thing out for eternity. But what is what is their defense? What is so good about their? Well, they got Frank Clark. Frank Clark is. You want to talk about another Yannick? Frank Clark is another Yannick. What? Why? I I don't understand what makes Frank Clark so good. I mean, he, he got paid after his 2018 season with Seattle. He had 14 sacks, 15 hits, 40 hurries. I mean, that's that's good. He ended up with 13 sacks with Kansas City. And if, if we're just looking at sacks, then okay. But his overall grade was a 63.3 with Kansas City, which was his worst, worst year since his rookie year with Seattle. Pressure percentage is 11.5, which is fine. He offers almost nothing against the run. He's a horrific tackler. His pass rush grade was a 64.3. I just, it's, it's nothing special. He's good, not great. Obviously, they've got Jones at, at defensive tackle, who's the one really good player on this team. you got Alex Okafor, who's no good. you got Tano Passigno, who's no good. They've got maybe the worst linebackers in football, and that's saying a lot considering it's coming from a Packers fan. Tyron Matthew is good, but I think slightly overrated, considering he's seen as like one of the top five safeties in all of football. PFF had him rated 16th. He had, you know, a really great start to his career. 2013 and 2015 elite, and then the last three years he's been good. So he's never been bad, and I'm not trying to trash him, but I do think he's slightly overrated, and it's one of those things people look at and go, dude, they got Tyron Matthew, that's why they're elite. And they got Frank Clark, and they got Chris Jones. This is a great defense. I'm seeing something different. I'm looking at a defensive line that is Chris Jones and meh. Terrible linebacker. Tyron Matthew, assuming the Texans, who now have three wide receivers, Cooks, Cobb, and Fuller, are going to be coming out in a lot of 11 personnel, which is very likely. Tyron Matthew is probably going to come up and play in the slot, which is fine. He's going to go up against Cobb. He's probably going to have a pretty good matchup there. But they have Ward and Fenton as their corners, who are probably going to get eaten up. Their safeties are Juan Thornhill, who's who's basically Darnell Savage. He was a rookie. He graded out about similarly good, not great. 
lot of optimism, and rightly so. He's a talented guy. And then they have Daniel Sorensen, who is just a nobody. It's just, it's just not, a, there's nothing here. It's not the worst defense in football, but it's, it's, if I had to look at this and say, are they closer to the ninth best team or the 25th best team? Like PFF says, I'm, I'm leaning 25th. Granted, I'm using PFF to come to these conclusions, but are you telling me Hitchens and Wilson are good linebackers? I gave you the stats on, on Clark. Is he one of the best young pass rushers in football? I'm not saying he's bad. He's going to get double digit sacks and that's cool. Is he a really good player against the run? Are those impressive pressure numbers? On top of Tano Passigno and Alex Okafor, Ward and Fenton, do they get you excited at corner? Do you even know who they are? Daniel Sorensen, does that, does that name ring a bell to you? Again, not the worst defense in football, but the Texans are a solid offense. The Texans are clearly a better offense than the Chiefs are a defense. So from that standpoint, and a lot of people are saying it's going to be a low-scoring game, and I get it, it's, it's week one, it's Thursday, which is usually a wonky kind of thing, low-scoring, all that kind of stuff. But this offense should absolutely steamroll the Chiefs' defense. Now, on the flip side, and and please don't take that as a ringing endorsement that the Texans are going to win, because I'm clearly not saying that. I'm just pointing out some problems with the Chiefs. Now, there are additional problems with the Chiefs, and I've already pointed them out, but the offensive line is is not good, and it's eroding. And if, if they're kind of in a similar situation to the Packers, in that the only really good players that you see are the ones that are going bye-bye. Now, that's not necessarily the case because Brian Balaga is already gone, whereas they still have Schwartz. They haven't gone through that yet, and we're kind of trying to figure that out. And it sounds like Bakhtiari is going to be getting a contract, hopefully. And we have Elton Jenkins, which they don't have. But otherwise, kind of similar. But this isn't a guarantee. Granted, I don't like the, the Texans' defense either, and this is clear advantage for Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. But they still have to find a way to account for J.J. Watt, and this interior offensive line is not going to be the ones to figure that out. And with the Chiefs playing a heavy dose of two wide receiver, which they, I mean, they play 11 personnel at 60%, just like the average of the league. But the rest of the alignment, whereas some teams use other versions of three wide or four wide or five wide, the Chiefs don't. They, they primarily, it's either 11 or they're doing two wide receivers. So they play two wide receivers more than any other, te- or not any other team, but a lot of other teams. The reason that matters is because that puts the Texans defense out of nickel puts them into more base, which kicks Watt inside, which means he's not going up against Schwartz, he's going up against Andrew Wiley. Now, I've definitely got some concerns about the cornerbacks and their ability to stop, you know, guys like Tyreek Hill, even Sammy Watkins, etc. And Zach Cunningham and Bernardrick McKinney are not very good coverage guys going up against Kelsey. And with speedster Tyreek Hill, it's pretty unlikely that uh, Mr. Justin Reed is going to drop down and try to cover Mr. Kelsey, because that would be ridiculous. They need Reed help over the top. Very good safety, by the way, but it puts them in a predicament because the Texans are actually pretty similar to the Chiefs, but maybe even slightly more dire because they have J.J. Watt and 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 Reed, and that's literally it. This is a terrible cornerback group. Uh, Bradley Roby, Lonnie Johnson. I mean, maybe Lonnie Johnson takes a step. He was a second-round pick, uh, played one year, but I mean, literally one of the worst coverage corners in football. Horrible. Injured, yes, but he played basically the entire season through week 14, so I'm not giving him that. And then Vernon Hargreaves, who, you know, was a big name that people probably get excited about, who was a first-round pick, number 11 overall, but he's been terrible for four years straight. So, I mean, look, the the, the bottom line, I, I use this more or less as a way to give my concerns about the Chiefs, and I'm not trying to trash the Chiefs. They're a good team. They're going to continue to play well. It's more of a long-term concern that I have, um, if I'm a Chiefs fan or Chiefs GM, whatever, 
But in terms of this game, I mean, it's it's fairly straightforward to me. These are two teams who have high-powered offenses that should be able to dominate two defenses that I just genuinely don't respect. And despite the lack of talent by the Chiefs, they did find a way, one way or another, to keep other teams from scoring, whether it's bend, don't break, or pure luck, or whatever it is, they made it work. And so as much as I would love for the Chiefs to fall 0-1 to start the season, and as much as it's obviously possible with the Week 1 caveat and the, the lack of preseason caveat, I don't think either of these teams are really relying a lot on a lot of rookies to come in and play, so it's mostly veterans that more or less know what they're doing, and uh, I gotta give it to the Chiefs. I don't want to. I wish I could find a, a, a way that that wasn't the case, and clearly it, it, it can be, but I think it's going to have to be some week one issue in order for that to happen because, again, the Texans have the firepower to beat the Chiefs' defense. There's no question about it, but not to the degree that the Chiefs have the firepower to beat the Texans' defense. And so I see somewhat of a repeat of the, the playoff game. Again, possible that it's a low-scoring game, which would be depressing considering the nature of these two teams, but I more or less see it as... Um, Two defenses that have no ability to stop the other team's offenses. Pat Mahomes, as, as good as as much as I like Deshaun Watson, he's working with three new wide receivers. He doesn't have his number one guy. They're trying to establish the run with this new running back. Um, they're trying to figure out this new system. Whereas the Chiefs are coming in with the, the super, literally Super Bowl caliber offense, and they're just going to pick up right where they left off. And I, I think they're just going to shred the Texans. I don't want to admit that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to believe that. But it it, it seems relatively straightforward. To, to me. So despite how this all started out with kind of dumping on the Chiefs, that was more just a general rant. Um, As far as actual prediction, I think the Chiefs kind of walk away with this. But anyways, I'm going to get to work on uh, working on a YouTube video, at least getting a uh, preview of this game. I'm planning on doing a uh, a general week one preview of the remaining games after that. Maybe I'll just do it all in one shot. I probably should just do that. So if you want to see my predictions for all of them, I know I shouldn't because I'm in the pick'em pool, but it doesn't matter. I don't really care about that anyways. I mean, I care about it. I'm excited about it. But it's not like I'm super strategic where I got to hide my picks or whatever. It's not that important. So anyways, Pack Daddy NFL is a YouTube channel if you want to see my predictions for all the games. I'm going to be doing that on the podcast anyways, but it'll just be at a later date, probably on Sunday, actually. I got to figure out the schedule, but I I think Saturday I'll do the preview of the game. Sunday I'll do my picks. Something to that effect. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.